from a radio studio on Long Island, New York. Come two diehard fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else in their distorted minds, it's Brando and Scotto. And this is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Miranda, and with me as always is my partner in perfect crime, Scotto, Ian. What's going on, bud? Well, nothing is going on. This this hasn't been a... uh tumultuous, crazy week that could change the outcome of the entire world as we know it. No, no. Nothing nothing out of the ordinary has happened. Wait, wait, why? What happened? What happened? Did I miss something? <laughs> is that what uh, Gary Johnson would be asking? He's like, did I miss the election? <laughs> what is Aleppo? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously this is a Guns N' Roses podcast. We're going to get yeah. into that very shortly. But since we are human beings, we would be remiss if we did not mention uh, that we have a new president here in the United States, because we have uh, listeners who from other countries, and we feel we should acknowledge such a historic event of having our very first Oompa Loompa president. Um, I mean, we're not going to get too much into it. It's just interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think this gives us another reason to do what we do, and that's to give an outlet for something other than politics. Oh, yeah. It's all over Facebook. It's all everywhere Twitter. you go. I think even Duff McKagan just tweeted after the uh, results was, wow. Yeah. So uh, I... I will uh, liken those sentiments just of, wow, that's it. That's all I got to say is, wow, and uh, I hope we uh, all don't die. That's it. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Uh, you know, I if you listen to the latest soft rap podcast that went up, you know, I, I get a little bit more By the way, I think depth. it's important because I know soft rap, but yeah. for the people who are still new to it, it should, for me, I always pronounced it because the way it's spelled, soft rap. I've heard people say it that way, too, So though. I just want people to I know how to find it. Soft Special Operations, I think. S-O-F-R-E-P. But yeah, yeah, that's, you know, the Special Operations podcast that I work on. And I get a little bit more in-depth with Jack Murphy about this type of stuff. And you can listen to it all there. But yeah, this is a break from all that. But how could you really not mention it? It was a shock to the entire world. Uh, I... For one, you could hear me on that podcast in weeks before say there's no way Donald Trump was going to be the president. And it seems very strange to say president-elect Donald Trump. I don't want to say it. I just want everyone to be good to each other. That's how I am. I'm going to live my life continuing to, to live it the way that I do by treating people the way that they treat me. Or I want to treat them the way I want to be treated. Sure. And that's that's it. You know, and no president's going to, going to uh, dictate that. No. Uh, we did tweet out uh, Axel Rose for president. For some reason, somebody made up Axel Rose for president pins. So I got to get me one of those. But we can transition right into guns. Unless sure. you have something else to mention. Oh, no. I mean, well, you know, it's kind of funny. And sure. he's been on the podcast, so it is relevant, even though he's more of a soft rep guy. There are like, honestly about a dozen people who wrote in Mike Ritland for president. <laughs> I, I have, they tweeted it to me. I got emails of, yeah, this is my write-in on the ballot, Mike Ritland for president. Not, so, <laughs> it, it, he came a little bit short as I think the official write-in victor was Harambe. Yes. 15,000 people wrote in a gorilla. Oh, it, yeah. I, you know what? Actually, I will tell you something. That's why we're America. I will tell you something funny uh, that, you know, we'll add a little levity to this situation that is about the write-in stuff. There was one tweet of some person. You know what? I'm going to assume a a, a gay man kind of looked like it. If I if I had to guess, <laughs> okay. you know, a little effeminate. But um, 
did a write-in for president that said Paris Hilton was like, I voted, haha. And then the tweet later that night was, I, you know, I'm scared to live in this country. How could you do this? Thank you, America. And it's like, you you wrote in Paris Hilton. You it's like, how does this happen? I know. Well, people like you who write in Paris Hilton. If you really felt Donald Trump was such a threat, then, you know, I didn't vote for either. But I also, I, I have no preference among the two. I don't think either was a good option. I know your feelings on this. Um, yeah, I think it was the worst, at least of my lifetime, the 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 worst presidential election ever. I mean, I thought we had two extremely terrible candidates for different reasons, but there's definitely something considerably strange about Donald Trump being the president. It, it's weird. It's very it's very weird to me. Hillary Clinton, it wouldn't have been so out of the ordinary. So it is a shock to to not just America, but the world. I pretty much agree with you. And, uh, you know, this is not a political podcast, so I'm not no. going to... Uh, I can just mirror your, con- your your sentiments. I'm on the same page as you. You do know that um, mm-hmm. at the first Guns N' Roses show, though, mm-hmm. the, the first reunion show that Axel made a Donald Trump uh, comment. Did he? He, he said... He said something to the effect of, uh, when it comes to the set list or when it comes to this band, I'm like Donald Trump, I consult with myself. <laughs> he said something like that. Art Devana probably knows the exact quote, but yeah, that's what he said at the first show. That's pretty brilliant. Yeah. That's pretty brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, you, t- you take a song like Civil War and the fact that, you know, obviously a lot of uh, anti-war songs from the 60s are still relevant, but... You know, what's so civil about war anyway? Yeah. So that's why a band like Guns N' Roses and Escapism, like GNR's music and rock and roll as a whole, that's going to help me continue and hopefully wherever you are, you're well, listening to Appetite I, for Distortion. And that's another reason I love Guns N' Roses. I'm glad you brought that up is Appetite for Distortion to me, I still consider a hair metal album. And uh, that's something we've... Destruction, you mean? Did I say Appetite for Distortion? Yeah, that's fine. This has become so a, a Freudian, part of a, a my lexicon. Of yeah. yeah. <laughs> Appetite for Distortion. It's funny. It works. Hey, I, I, I love this podcast. But um, so yeah, Appetite for Destruction to me, and I know we've debated this a little, is still a hair metal album to me. And the subject matter is very sunset strip, drinking and driving, partying, uh, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all mm-hmm. that. And then when they did Use Your Illusions, the two Usual Illusion albums, way more of a um, deeper albums. You know, you listen to Estranged, you listen to November Rain, and there's way more of a of a deep message to those two albums. Than, oh, absolutely. Uh, and I think that what's that's what separates Guns N' Roses from a lot of bands. And I've been listening to a lot of uh, Pandora now. You know, not satellite radio, not even terrestrial radio. And a lot of the older classic rock seem to have just more meaning to their music. And, you know, especially when you have people like uh, Bob Dylan getting a Nobel Peace Prize, whether you would agree with that or not. The lyrics meant something, and he wrote during a time of war. So it's going to be interesting where Guns N' Roses have kind of had their, their finger on the on the pulse of how they, we've been feeling. That's why everyone we, we, we gravitated towards them. Uh, Even Chinese we, democracy had... Um, you know, a lot of those songs were really deep, especially mm-hmm. Chinese democracy itself. When I heard Axel talk about how he came up with the the title for that and the meaning behind that after he watched, you know, a film about Mao Zedong. He's pretty and political, but he, he's he's smart about it. He, but he whenever he tweets 
or makes a comment, he seems to he knows what's going on about yes. dictatorship, uh, but he doesn't shove it in our face like no. a Bruce Springsteen would. So I, I like it in his latest tweet, which I which is heartfelt, but I you know it's it's typical Axel. Dogs' lives matter. You know, <laughs> fire arrest, convict, incarcerate, NYPD police officer Ruben uh, Cuesta. I'm not sure of the story behind that, but well, Axel seems to be a big animal rights guy mm-hmm. as well, because that's come out several times when there are countries doing horrible things to animals. He'll he'll be a part of some petition and he'll get the word out there. And it's also interesting too. Um, I believe we spoke about this. Might have been last show. Uh, the lyrics to One in a Million. Yeah, and I feel like if you take Axel's mindset in one in a million, that can really, that can really create the the viewpoint of a lot of people, at least in America right now, that they don't recognize the country. Yeah. Who are these? I'm not going to use. I don't want to use the words Axel used in, in in the you know the N word. Well, end. it's a different time period as as we've said, and you but can't. I, I feel like that's typical America. I got off, and you know people speaking different languages and this and that. So yeah. I, I, that that might have been the catalyst to uh, President Trump, but whatever. Yeah. But that that is just to sum it up. That is what I love about Guns N' Roses catalog. If I want to listen to a sex, drugs, rock and roll song, I can put on Appetite for Destruction. And you know, if if I'm having a hard time in life, if uh, just things are not going right, I could put on Estranged. And it's just they have they have songs for every emotion, uh, and that like to me that's what makes a great, well-rounded band, and that's why these songs are timeless to me, and that's why we do this podcast. Yeah, no, and then the same thing with um, as we we've gone deeper into just rock and roll in general, and going underneath the the Guns N' Roses blanket, if if you will, that's what rock has always been about. It's been about rebellion. Uh, you know, I've seen some jokes about there going to be some pretty good punk songs written in the next few years uh, about what's if, going. Yeah, are there any big punk bands still around though? I mean, I don't know if what you if you consider Green Day. I was going to say Green, but they yeah. put out a, a, a new record. But yeah. it's, it, I'm sure they may put out another one, uh, American Idiot Part Two. <laughs> you, you never know. I but, could see it happening. Yeah, but you, you you never know. But I mean, that's always been kind of the essence of, of rock and roll, and has kind of been. I don't know where it's gone. You don't see too much of that in hip hop. I mean, if you do, it's not in the mainstream. I know. What you, politics or politics? Uh, yeah, you, I, you're probably the guy to answer. No, that. No, there is though. There, I definitely think there is with some. You know, like uh, Talib Kweli and all that stuff, and you know, Jay Z has written political stuff. And... I will say this though: I don't know if you watched the. Le- no, you didn't. You watched UFC last. Kanye night. too. I'm sorry. Kanye is super political. You know what? What's really funny? If it's him versus Trump. <laughs> 2020. <laughs> I don't know. I might have to vote yay. Yeah. Uh, but even um, as we were, we were taping this, last night was uh, Saturday Night Live with Dave Chappelle, which was th- one of the best episodes I've ever seen from start to finish. I still have to see it because I was watching UFC. Oh, brilliant. But they had a Tribe Called Quest on, obviously. Without... And, and Oh, their, their songs they did? Yeah. Political, amazing. Some yeah. of the best, I mean, obviously without Fife, uh, the best performance I, I've seen. So uh, that's our little political preamble to the Guns N' Roses podcast. Yeah, no, it's all good. I, I'd say the uh, the big news in the Guns N' Roses world was Steven Adler coming out in Argentina yeah. and drumming, and everybody is happy when they see that. And I remember it, it was pretty explosive on Twitter among just our fan base of uh, Steven Adler is in Argentina right now. That means he's probably going to drum at these shows. And there was a lot leading up to it, and he did. And it, it excites people, man. I want to see him be a part of this band as much as possible. It shows, and we spoke about this uh, last episode, where he put something on Instagram of him drumming along to You Could Be Mine, yes. was it? It just shows you that he's continuing forward. 
And that's nice. It wasn't just a one-off, hey, here's to appease the fans. He's somehow involved in the future, whether that's just doing what he's been doing or more. So that's that's positive. Now we have the whole Izzy situation. You know, if there is a situation, how that's kind of going to uh, unravel itself. And, you know, Art Devana, he, he seems to be the guy. Oh, and I also, I didn't read the article yet, but... Uh, that's you know, a great article. Oh, no, no, I read Art's article. Oh, okay. Um... I said that sentence before, the, the following <laughs> sentence, we should have came first. Uh, Mick Wall, who Art called out for stealing his story about sure. uh, Steve Nadler's back and, and some other uh, stories. Mick Wall, I saw, came out with a, a lengthy Izzy article, maybe a week or two after Art Tabana. I find that very, yeah. very curious. So I, I had to read Mick Wall's article and compare the two. We got to get him back on Art and maybe get we Mick will. Wall. But yeah, I'd lo- I, I kind of like the drama. I oh, like yeah. I oh, like yeah. our podcast being involved in trauma. Anything that can help us blow up and get, <laughs> get press, I'm all for. No, absolutely. So that's um that's positive. I'm, I'm glad about, uh, I'm happy about that. And did you do uh, My Michelle, or did you do the same couple songs? That... I, I know I saw you did Out to Get Me. Okay, because he's been doing that one. Yeah. Uh, it's, okay, so... It's um we'll see what happens. Yeah. The fact that this is a, a train still rolling. Uh, but there are a couple other things. Before we get into, like, I guess the big... Guns N' Roses um, topic we can get into, which involves Metallica or yeah. Kirk Hammett. Uh, a couple of points. Um, we, we, we tweeted out, I should say you took notice of it, uh, that Duff McKagan's It's So Easy documentary was on Netflix. Yeah. I've read Slash's book. I've read Stephen Adler's. I did not read Duff's. I mean, I wanted to, just haven't had the time. So I'm like, and I know, did you eventually go to see the documentary when it premiered in the city? Yeah, I saw it. I saw the premiere in New York City. It was great. Right. right. Okay. So this is my first time seeing it. And we talked about it off air just for a bit. I was just so disappointed. I, there goes Duff McKagan coming on the podcast. You, you, you blew it. You well, ruined it. I, well, I want to preface this with a, I like you, Duff, and I want you on this podcast. <laughs> uh, and who am I to criticize anybody? But the way I, I, I viewed it, I like the the premise of it, where it's, you know, I like how we got dressed up a little bit of it, a little punk rockish, a little, little uh, loose-fitting uh, suit, and he had a band behind him, and it wasn't so much a concert, but it was just a, uh, a reading. And just, I, I know what Duff sounds like, but to hear him speak at that length, it just reminded me of that, to mention Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live again, the Californian skit. He has that West Coast accent, which for me, you know, I'm, no, I'm a New Yorker. Maybe not everyone wants to hear me, uh, you know, read. Uh, he just doesn't have that that voice that I want to hear, that I... That strikes emotion out of me from the, his words. Uh, it's just it, it took a, a lot away from me. Uh, just hearing him read, I, 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 I maybe I'm an asshole for saying that, but he just he just doesn't we're honest have, on here. I know, but uh, I mean, I listen to Axel. I think he has uh, a very well spoken voice. I love Slash's voice. Yeah, even Slash's uh, a bit, but I think uh, Duff's too surfer. To Stoner, I know he's. Sober. That's him, though. He brings that personality to the band. I mean, which I, I like, but in this context, and when you're reading a story, it just took me out of it. I'll I'll back you up on the voice thing. Um, not necessarily in this. I didn't even think about it for this. I I, I enjoyed it. But do you have Duff's um, solo album "Believe in Me" before there was "Loaded" and no, all that? I do not. I I couldn't get into it, man. Like I his his voice singing. I, he's good on some of the covers on Spaghetti Incident, but like that album as a whole, I just couldn't get into it. But to be completely honest, I read the book before um, 
now I'm, now I'm forgetting the name of Duff's. Uh, uh, it's so easy yeah, and otherwise. I, yeah, I so I read the book. It's so easy and otherwise. And I saw, you know, when I saw the documentary, I already knew what it was going to be about. If you want to call it documentary reading, I don't know what you want to call it. It was very different than your usual uh, documentary. But I I loved it, man. I thought it was great. I, You know, there, it definitely could have gone more in depth at certain points. But I agree. But I, I liked it. I, I really enjoyed seeing it. I liked hearing his side of the story. I thought it was inspiring hearing about him getting back in the dojo and uh, training and all that after his alcoholism and you know, doing uh, I think it was a triathlon, or it might I think it might have just been a bike, uh, right? Bike race, but just doing all these great events, and you know, redefining himself after Guns N' Roses, finding himself again, doing his own solo projects. I thought I thought it was excellent. So I I I don't echo your sentiment on on that, but it touched the surface with all those, and that's for what it is for me. It just touched the surface. I want to know more, especially about his childhood, and especially after speaking with um, John Miller about. Uh, Axel's childhood. Why did why did he go gravitate towards drugs? Why did he gravitate towards drinking? Why did he do these things? Why did he make these decisions? That's what I want to know. So he seems to scratch the surface a bit for all these things. I want to know more. I want to know more about Michael McKagan. Well, the one thing about Duff that stands out to me is he's actually the best writer of the group. I mean, he which is why I was surprised. And he became a sports writer, which is up your alley. He, he writes uh, for like Seattle Weekly. I think he had like a. But I think he did ESPN or something like that. Yeah, I think he's done that. I think he's we can fact check this after Playboy as well. I mean, yeah, no, he, he, that's why I was surprised. And uh, so the thing is, when you, uh, if I had to guess, for example, when you read Slash's book, the actual writing, I think that's more Anthony Boza. Sure, you know, Duff's book, I think a lot of it is coming directly from him because he's a writer himself. And I remember, like, he wrote a great article about Jeremy Lin during Lin's Sanity, mm-hmm. and he compared it to him, and when Guns N' Roses blew up, and it was like Guns N' Roses insanity, and it was like, am I all of a sudden better looking, and all these girls giving me attention as this album blew up that, you know, didn't give a shit about me? Sure. And he, he said, like, my brother humbled me a little bit during that experience, and he's like, I hope Jeremy Lin is someone there for him to tell him, you know, just to... Be yourself and and don't let it get to your head. And and I thought it was a great article. So his writing in general, I really like. And uh, I thought it was a good book. I'm not going to say it was the best book I ever saw or the best documentary, but uh, I liked it. I maybe I should have read the book first. I just I just was a little disappointed. I wanted to know more. I, I expected more. And again. Who the fuck am I? I'm not anybody. But I'm a big fan of rock biographies, though, just in general. I, so I, am I. I mean, yeah. I've, re- I've read a lot. The, so far, the best one I've read is uh, Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis. His life needs to be a documentary or a movie. It's it's in- incredible. But I will say Duff's documentary is so much better than another one that I saw that's up on Hulu, which is entitled Guns and Roses, which, first of all, pisses me off. It's they probably pre- had to, though. You, you think maybe for copyright issues? Maybe. You know what? I will say because the way they filmed it, they seem to really cover their bases. Uh, but just to sidebar for a second, whenever someone says guns and roses or spells Axel with an E, I want to throat punch you. Like, they've been around for a long time, know how to spell it. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so it was called Guns and Roses, Appetite for, uh, I almost said distortion, <laughs> destruction. And it was, it was uh, I guess, a British, English, you know, they, and they had, this, the, the only people they interviewed were these stable of journalists. No one really seemed to have any real hard ties to Guns N' Roses. And all the videos that they seem to show are the ones that we watch on YouTube all the time, shows from the Ritz 
early and they would show it at, like almost the full song and they would come up with you know uh and it would show like like a video where they would show produced by name of the song who like who directed it all this stuff and it was just it was poor it was very poor on Hulu and a couple things that really bothered me they really painted Axel to be an asshole which is I understand that's the way he's been always been painted but they really seem to push it like he's an he's a bad guy he's a bad person I felt like the behind the music they did that a little bit too it wasn't which... as far as maybe with the behind the music there were still some credible people in here yeah and another one that really which is such the antithesis of everything we've been speaking about the past few shows uh with Izzy Stradlin that they made it seem like he just wasn't it wasn't important you know. Yo, you know how they do, uh, I'm, I'm sorry I'm getting off track here, but you know how what they do, do Behind the Music uh, Remastered? Yeah, they haven't done it in a while. It'd be sure. amazing if they did one with Guns N' Roses now, because Axel didn't participate. If they could get him to, I would love to see them do that. No, that of would course. be great. Of course. I mean, there are a lot of things that where Guns N' Roses can go from here, uh, whether it's a remastered, whether it's just more interviews, whether it's uh, more books, you see people re-release their autobiographies, you know, uh, there's a whole timeline of this band. And I would start from maybe the breakup, post-breakup to Chinese democracy to the reunion, that's, we want to know. We want to know. This is such a, a fascinating story yeah. that hopefully in, in time that we, we will know. So the those are the I watched some Guns N' Roses documentaries. So don't look up Guns N' Roses on Hulu. On Hulu. No, no. I, I, well, you were it's saying, so easy to watch it. You can watch yeah. it. I was just, I was a little let down. I I think many of you will like it, but we'll see. Um, I I will say there's like a, there's a big, um, I don't know, there's, there's just a huge market of these documentaries that are typically narrated by a British guy about different artists. And I've seen a lot, they tend to be, Shit, they're, they're bad. Oh, this was a weird, this was like this, some chick hanging out on a couch, a British chick <laughs> hanging out on a couch. Like it was some sort of. Was she hot MT at least? Eh, she was, it was like some like MTV, VH1 kind of really bad high school made documentary. It was just bad. But Behind the Music always does it well, I feel like. I know, they're but one it was of a, the few. a bad version, like a yeah. high school version. What Duff I saw was like an A plus college version of a documentary. <laughs> like he did a good job, but it wasn't whatever. Again, Please come on our show if you hear us anyway. And yeah. Just make Defend fun. yourself. Yeah. Not, don't, he doesn't have to defend himself. <laughs> to make us call me an idiot and yeah. get the fuck off. Um, but before we, because oh, today we have a, a pretty awesome guest. Yes. I'm uh, psyched. Vicki Hamilton. the I guess the original manager of Guns N' Roses or one of the original. Yeah. So we're going to get her on in a few moments, but I want to get into. And, and shout out to Art Devana for the hookup. He was like, you got to get her on. So yeah, it's. It's funny, man. There's after people seem to really like coming on the show because after Charlie came on last week, I'm you know I'm not going to give away any names, but he's like, you got to get this person on, and that that really means something to me because it's not like oh they just did the interview they they must have felt like man this is an awesome interview I got to get this person on I got it so we have like a huge bucket list of guests that we're aiming to get on and being that we only do the show right now every other week like it's it's tough to get everybody we want on but we're going to keep coming with really big guests and i feel like this is another if you're a fan of guns and roses this is an a-list guest yeah oh absolutely yeah. It's, it's it's um it's cool times we're still young in the show and we appreciate all the feedback i mean it, it means a lot to us that um i won't threaten you to, unlike ian to to, to uh, you know, review us on iTunes, but just between the iTunes, the my GNR forum stuff, the private messages that we get, 
I mean, nothing has really been negative. And it's just me. I know uh, I'm full Jewish. You're only half. So I get it <laughs> tenfold that I always think everything I do is garbage. I, uh, it's reassuring. I mean, I was raised Jewish, but yeah. I'm not, <laughs> I, so, but anyway, how does this come up every show? But, but anyway. Oh, stuff? Yeah, it's it, just it funny. Is is, but, but so mm-hmm. moving on to something I, I know you wanted to mention before we get to Vicki Hamilton, Kirk Hammett calling Guns N' Roses a nostalgia act. Yeah, that was... Uh, Interesting. I'm, I, sh- I should have had the entire actual quote in front of me, but so because I don't, look it up, it's cool. I I don't want to read it out of uh, context, but basically, when you hear someone from Metallica send something, I'm like, okay, it's got to be Lars because he's always saying yeah. something. But Kirk Hammett, who's the the, the quiet guy, I, I find this very fascinating. And as I'm bringing up the article uh, right now, and of course, I get a fucking pop up. <laughs> The way the thanks, uh, thanks Trump. Uh, <laughs> no more thanks, Obama. He goes, uh, Guns N' Roses has turned into somewhat of a nostalgia act. And he goes, unfortunately, um, and it's kind of sad. I don't think, uh, I don't want to think we're trying to stay young by writing new stuff, but it makes us feel relevant. It makes us feel like we're still progressing. So he's saying that Guns N' Roses isn't doing that. All right, here's my problem. Why is he picking a fight, first of all? I mean, that's what you're doing. In was the, it brought up, though? I mean, we don't know the full context of the interview. It's possible they asked, what do you feel about it? Of course, know? it's always possible. Uh, but that's still how he feels. For one, Guns N' Roses right now is a reunion. It's not a nostalgia act. If he wanted to say this, you say this when Bumblefoot's in the band, when DJ Ash was in the band, even with Buckethead, this is a freak show, even though we both agree we enjoyed it, we enjoyed Chinese democracy. But if you're going to make those points... That's the time to do it. Because otherwise, what are you doing? You're seeing Axl Rose and Friends. That's what you're doing. It's a nostalgia act. Now, it's a reunion after decades that there have been, not only have a reunion, they're playing Chinese Democracy material, which came out, I believe, the same year as Metallica's last record, which was... Um, Death Magnetic. Death Magnetic, which I liked, you didn't like. No, I, I don't like anything after Load, and I kind of like Load. Oh, I, I, I thought Death Magnetic was, was great. I mean, I just, that's just, hey, me, we don't always have to say it. Well, here's... But, but why? But, but they're not... Because now you have Slash and Duff playing, for them, new material. Yeah. And there have been rumors of new material. But now it's just, it's just a weird time to say that because it's not nostalgia because there are people like us seeing this band for the first time. Yeah, I... You know what? I... I don't necessarily have a problem with what Kirk Hammett said, so we're going to disagree a little bit on this one as well. Uh, I don't, you know, I it could be taken as a shot. I'm sure the guys in the band look at it as a shot. But I kind of understand because for the average rock and roll fan going to a Guns N' Roses show, they're going to hear those first few albums, the albums with the original or close to the original lineup. You know, Axel Slash. The, very few people go to the current Guns N' Roses shows to hear songs off Chinese Democracy. I, I love the songs off Chinese Democracy, but I'm also a super fan. Sure. Um, you can argue the same for Metallica. Yeah, how, well, I don't know if I would agree because Metallica had, like, I know most people go to hear the stuff off Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, but they had hits after that. I mean, Memory Remains, it was a hit. People go to see Fuel. They play Fuel like almost every show. Um, they don't seem to play anything off St. Anger. They act like that album never happened. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they those al- those albums were relevant. And to the average rock and roll fan, unfortunately, which I'm not, I'm a super fan, Chinese Democracy was not relevant to them. And they do not know those songs. A- the average rock fan knows the song Fuel by Metallica. And they're going to play it. But and, why that's from is that... the ni- and that's from the late 90s. But why is that 
Guns N' Roses' fault that they were broken up at that time. They could have came out with more music. Uh, it's not like they're going to throw in Oh My God into the set list from a 90. I'd love to see it. So but. would I. I know many fans would. <laughs> but uh, begun, they're, they're trying to keep it different. Axel could have easily been like, now that Slash is Duff are back in the band, let's do what we did and not play any Chinese material. Yeah, I mean, I just, Guns N' Roses, I mean, Metallica did not break up. They didn't have these issues. And they managed to stay relevant year after year after year while Guns N' Roses went away for a while. And no, it's not, you know, it's not their fault. It just happened the way it does. But I I get Kirk's point to some extent because Metallica has never had a time where they weren't somewhat relevant, at least for, you know, a few years span. Every time they have a new album out, it's reinvigorated. They're old, they were constantly they had a played. movie, they had a documentary, you know, and they, they always even the Napster thing. They've I mean. always played arenas. There was a time where Guns N' Roses were not playing big arenas. You know, I the last time I saw Guns N' Roses, the Rose and Roses lineup, whatever you want to and call it. And that's what doesn't count. I, I think saw them what... in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania at a much smaller arena inside a casino and that show didn't sell out for a long time. And it that's took a while. The time to make that comment. To call them a nostalgia act then. Why now doesn't make any sense to me other than jealousy that the fact that they can go away for so long and come back and just completely destroy wherever they go in the world to get all these positive reviews. I just, I don't see the reason behind it. There's so many other bands you could say this about, you know, these bands that are, you know, rat. Uh, if you want to, to say the, that. Uh, the current rat. The current, just wanted, uh, or you Boston. could say it for Kiss. I mean, look, I like Kiss. Kiss I'm a yeah, fan, that's probably the, perf- that's probably the perfect example. Paul Stanley cannot sing anymore. He, he he sounds awful. That's probably the perfect example Yeah, is, is Kiss as a nostalgia act. Because they've, they've come out with uh, new music in the past decade, I believe. Oh, yeah. They've they've had a few albums. And, so, I, and, and nobody gives a shit. Well, you know what's so funny, too? Is I, I've army. mentioned them before. I'm a fan of the Three Sides of the Coin podcast, which is kind of a KISS podcast, like what we do. Uh, you know, but it's KISS. And they talked about Paul Stanley making a comment that um, it was it's one of their newer songs. I think it's called Modern Day Delilah. And um, Yeah, I remember being on a station and played that. And Paul Stanley called it like a classic Kiss song. And even the guys on that podcast were like, could you really call this classic Kiss? Like, aren't you stretching it a little bit? <laughs> I know, but you got to say that. I remember when uh, Aerosmith came out with Jaded. Yeah. And Steven Tyler's like, this is a song we should have written years ago. You know, and that sounds nothing like old school no, uh, no. Aerosmith. So, I mean, you, you got to say that. You got to move forward. I get... Uh, you know what Metallica did with St. Anger and, and, and Lulu with uh, Lou Reed and trying to push the envelope and move forward. And you could argue Axel's been trying to do that as well since the band broke up. You know, trying to reinvent this entire band. Chinese democracy is basically, you know, the combination of the, the illusions on steroids. Uh, and he tried to be different. He's not like he tried to recreate Appetite. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just very strange why he, he picked it. I mean, I don't want to assume because Kurt's always kind of the quiet guy that he's that jealous or angry or whatever. I, I you know, it's good that we disagree on this. I just don't f- see any rhyme or reason. I guess that there goes in a, uh, a the reunion uh, double bill tour of Metallica and Guns N' Roses. I guess I don't think it would happen. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I will say uh, on a positive note, I have high hopes for the new Metallica album, which comes out this week for you guys listening. Um, is spe- they've put out I think two songs. The, this the first one though especially they might it might be three actually I know the, hardwired and and moth in the flame 
Then they have a third because they have another okay. one called Atlas Rising. I think it's called Not Atlas Shrugged. No, Atlas I think it's Shrugged. called Atlas Rising. What happened to that song? Well, there's a book called Atlas Shrugged. What, what? It was a Guns N' Roses uh, leak title. Really? Yeah. I don't. I didn't even know that. Oh, that was that. I, one of the many things I learned on my GNR forum. I think I remember hearing about days. it. Yeah. Yeah. And was it one they retitled maybe? Or? It might have been like it was a time like when the general was like announced yeah. and all these things. So. Um so but the first song, Hardwired to Self Destruct, the first song they put out, that song is kick ass and it actually does sound like old school and justice for all Metallica. I love that song in particular. So if the rest of the album sounds anything like that song, I have really high hopes. And I have not as I said, I have not liked anything by Metallica since Load. I mean, except for a few songs here and there. Like, I actually really like I Disappear, the song they did on the Mission sure. Impossible 2 sure. soundtrack. That's a good song. That song kicked ass. Uh, uh, no Leaf Clover that they did on SM, that was cool. Good song. But uh, overall, I mean, I've I have not been excited by Death Magnetic. Definitely did not like uh, St. Anger. No, I didn't either, but Death Magnetic, for some reason, I, I did like. I like a lot of I liked a lot of it. I mean, it was it was kind of like their your user illusion, because it was uh there were longer songs on there, which I know they were known for back in the day, but they added certain things to it. You know, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It, it was what it was. But, but I mean, this is why we're, we're fans of it. I mean, we're hoping uh, Guns N' Roses comes out with new material. And, and if they do, what is it going to sound like? Is it going to sound like where they were going, you know, when they all broke up? Is it going to contain elements of now? I mean, I, it's going to be interesting because I know you're not a fan of, of uh, Miles Kennedy. But I like a lot of the tunes that he and Slash put together. So Slash is making some good new music. You know, with Chinese Democracy, we agree Axel was making good new music. Sure. So it's it's going to be interesting. I just don't see how they are a nostalgia act when they're a living, breathing entity. And unless Kirk just completely be believes that this is just a cash grab and that's it. You know, Axel, and that the, the, he knows something that we don't know, that they actually still hate each other. This is just all for the money, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we see pictures of them smiling, and then again, that's only, we don't know. Hey, well, Metallica, and we have Vicki Hamilton waiting, so I'll, I'll wrap it up here, but um, St. Anger, you could say, you know, bit of a cash grab at that point, because they did the documentary, and it was, it, they put it out there, that they were not getting along with each other, they were not liking each other. I think other it was an experiment. When they put out some grab. kind of monster. A regrettable cash grab. Yeah. Because that's just... I don't know if anyone's looked at Metallica the same way since then. Yeah, it, it was very strange to see them, you know, saying that they didn't get along and all that stuff. Not even stuff. that. It was... It's like you see Metallica, evil, like just bitching. It's yeah. like the same thing with Dave Mustaine. The lead singer of Megadeth was crying. Megadeth! Boo, 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 boo. He, didn't, he didn't want that in the movie. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but yeah, he apparently told them, I don't want this in. But uh, actually, to wrap it all up, when you're saying maybe there's some jealousy there, I don't think so because they've had such big careers. But right. I saw um, the Big Four at Yankee Stadium a few years back, which was awesome. And it was Metallica, Anthrax, Megadeth Slayer. That is a kick-ass lineup, mm -hmm. which included Charlie Benanti, who we had on the last podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and it was not a full sellout, as opposed to Guns N' Roses, giant stadium, two nights in a row, sellout. That says something, mm. um, I, you know. But it's also a reunion. It, it, I, it, we might be singing a different tune if Metallica went away during Injustice for All You're and right. came back now. Um, well, I guess with that said, though, joining us on the podcast for the first time is a very important figure in Guns N' Roses history, who Art Tavana, who you guys heard from recently, introduced us to, and we're extremely excited to have on Vicky Hamilton, the early manager for Guns N' Roses, who has a new book out. 
uh, called Appetite for Dysfunction, a cautionary tale. Uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And if you want to just... No, absolutely. If The first thing I wanted to ask you is, I'm sure there's so much to go through and people need to pick up the book, of course, but... How did, how did it all get started? How did you meet Axel, and how did you get introduced to the guys in Guns N' Roses? Um, I actually met Axel and Izzy when they were in Hollywood Rose. So um, I was an agent at the time at a place called Silver Lining Entertainment, and Axel called me up and said, you know, I came highly recommended, and, you know, would I book them some gigs? And, uh, you know, I told him to send a tape, and he said well, can I just bring you a tape? And I was like, well, I don't have a stereo here. And he's like, it's okay, I'll bring you a ghetto blaster. And I, yeah. I kind of laughed. I was like, yeah, okay. A few hours later, he and Izzy showed up and, you know, played me this demo that was incredible. And I booked them sight unseen, and that's kind of where it started. And at the same time, I was booking Black Sheep that Slash was in for like 10 minutes, so... You know, that's kind of where it started. I want to take a step back, because how do you go from Charleston, West Virginia, to the Sunset Strip? How did that happen? Take us through that that journey. Well, I was born in Charleston, West Virginia, but then I moved to Indiana, and um, I grew up mostly in Indiana. Okay. I I went to art school there, and uh, I had an art school teacher that I had, like, painted sort of a life on Mars scenario for my landscape and he gave me like uh, I think it was like a C or D minus or I don't know anyway I was like he's like well this isn't realistic and I was like okay well it might be if you lived on Mars and <laughs> I kind of like made me start thinking that I probably should get out of Indiana so <laughs> um, what a specific reason and you're still holding on to it I like that <laughs> well, and I'm still out of Indiana. It's a scary place, Indiana, for some, mm. me being one of them. So, you know, but, uh, you know, Axel and Izzy were from Indiana, too. So once I arrived in L.A. and kind of got a foothold, it, you know, was one of the bonding points for us, you know, that we kind of escaped Indiana. So. So um, I want you to take us, like, why, obviously, to leave Indiana to L.A., it seems like the ultimate movie star. Did you want to be an actress? Or how did you transition into being a manager for for these, you know, now famous bands, G&R, Poison, Faster Pussycat? Oh, I was a manager in Indiana. You know, okay. after I dropped out of art school, I ran a record store called Apple Records and was the record buyer, and I was writing for a free press magazine, and booking sort of these government things that were called Summer in the City for the parks. And, you know, it was like I just had kind of hit the glass ceiling of what you could do in Fort Wayne, Indiana, music-wise. And, you know, I had my eyes set on California because in my mind it was better to starve in the sunshine instead of the snow. (laughs) You know, New York was much closer, but... I don't know. Something about California just really had me going. And then I came out here for a month and checked it out and went back for nearly a year and saved money and moved. You know, that's it was pretty much as easy as that. So were you a fan of these early Sunset Strip bands, the, the bands we now refer to as hair bands and glam metal and all that? Was Was that just something that attracted you? 
Sure. I mean, you know, Tom Petty had told me that I look like a California girl, and at the time that was like my favorite band, so nice. that's pretty much all I needed to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of had me going. But, um, you know, I, I worked with Motley Crue in the early days, pre, you know, Too Fast for Love, Leather Records version, and I also worked with Striper, and I managed Poison, and, you know, then Guns N' Roses right after Poison. It's like I not only was a fan, I kind of helped create the scene, you know? That's so awesome. How does that that process work? Do you, um, when you meet, like, a young Brett Michaels, you meet a young Tommy Lee, do you say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Vicki Hamilton, or are there rumors about you since you already were kind of seasoned back in Indiana? How, how does one approach uh, the, these bands that were definitely uh, a bit unhinged, I guess, at the time, very new, not knowing what they were doing? How do, how do, you, how do you go about becoming business partners? Um, well, I, I solely rely on gut instinct on things. You know, I hardly ever approach anyone without having seen them play first. But when I first arrived... In L.A., it was pretty much punk rock. I mean, you know, it's 1981. It's like Black Flag and Circle Jerks and those kind of bands were sort of ruling the scene. And, you know, being from Indiana, I had never seen anything like that. And then also there was sort of the English invasion of, like, Duran Duran and Psychedelic Furs and those sort of bands. And, uh and then, you know, I, I was a record buyer at Licorice Pizza Record Store, which is like catty corner from the Whiskey Go-Go. And I kept seeing, you know, these dark-haired guys and a blonde guy walking in stiletto heels up Clark Street. And, it, you know, turned out to be Motley Crue. Um, Nikki and his then-girlfriend came into my record store. And, you know, I started talking to them. And that's where it kind of started for me. You know, it's like... Since that day I met Nikki Six, my life has never been the same. <laughs> I'm sure you're not the, the the first person or the last person to say that. <laughs> right, right. And I've gotten to meet the Nikki Six. I've told you this story before, Brandon. But like, super nice guy. I don't know if you had the same experience. Like, I he was one of the nicest people I've met. And I, and just working in radio, I've I've had the chance to meet a lot of rock stars. Right. Is there a certain is like a creative genius? I mean, he was and he still is, and I assume he always will be. You know, he just he's got a little something extra that a lot of the rock stars didn't get. So, I mean, he's doing it now with uh, six a.m. Even though Motley is no more. I mean, he's he's moving right. forward. Uh, well, is, is you there... think he will ever quit? I doubt. No, it. no, never. No, I, I see him being a director down the road. I see him constantly doing. I mean, obviously he has his own radio show, so no, he's uh, he's definitely going to be in in the new in the rock and roll news uh, cycle for a while. Is there was there a certain criteria that you looked for uh, when looking to manage these younger bands? Did you see any of them becoming what they would become, uh, especially with Guns N' Roses? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw it in all the bands I worked with, you know, that they had the ability for greatness. Um, you know, Guns N' Roses, when they first came out, were different than all the other hair bands on the scene. They, you know, it had gotten so girly by that point, you know, it was like coming out of poison going into like the guns and roses era yeah oh it's so like, over the top like vinnie vincent invasion the way that those guys looked <laughs> yeah there was like you know tough and then yeah. like 
Oh, God, what's that one band that was just terrible? It's like, you know, it couldn't have gotten any girlier in that <laughs> moment. So when Guns N' Roses showed up on the scene, it was like, wow, what is this? You know, you felt like you were witnessing something new and different and dangerous, I might add. You know, it's like you knew you were watching a train wreck, but you couldn't take your eyes off of it, basically. <laughs> What were some, because you always hear that, when whether it's reading a book about uh, Guns N' Roses, and I, I like to think, and you can tell me if one of these stories are in, in your book, what made them so dangerous? I mean, because everyone seemed in that era did drugs. I mean, Motley Crue were dangerous as well, I mean, I'm assuming, but it seemed like Guns N' Roses were particularly dangerous. Was there ever, uh, is there a story you can tell that you're like, whoa, what is really going on here? But you stuck it out because of who, what, what they did musically. Uh, so, like, what was? Were they truly a gang as they've been painted to to have been back then? Yeah, they were. You know, they were their own little posse. You know, they moved into the rehearsal hall that they were rehearsing at, which was just a tiny room. You know, and they had built this. Uh, um, I don't even know what to call that. Basically a place where they could store their stuff and then, you know, they ended up sleeping up there. I mean, there's a lot of stories from that time, you know, like it only really held about three people. So, you know, there was a lot to be said about that. And then they would have these parties in the parking lot and stuff. And, uh, you know, they ended up moving in with me after they, um, Axel had a girl up there, and I don't know, he, like, had her clothes off of her and, like, locked her outside. <laughs> and uh, she went to the cops and said he raped her, which, you know, he didn't, but that's how he ended up sleeping on my couch. It's like Slash called me and said, you know, can Axel stay on your couch for a while? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, it was supposed to be a couple of days, ended up being, like, six months. You know, if you want to see Dangerous, you move in with Guns N' Roses for six months. <laughs> <laughs> so, it sounds like the best or worst sitcom ever. It just sounds like, you know, me and, and Guns N' Roses kind of like on CBS this fall. Yeah, well, it's funny you should say that because my book is getting some television looks. and nice. uh, I can, know, I can only... I kind of want to take it into a... Uh, place where it's fiction and just create a new band because you know i don't want to insult them or whatever but you know it would be a fun show for sure absolutely uh what prompted you uh, why now to write this book well i'd actually been writing it for seven years i mean everybody wants to say oh you knew the reunion was coming i had no idea the reunion was coming and you know slash said it would never happen and even up until last november he was telling me it wasn't going to happen so um, yeah, I just wanted to write it because I, you know, I'm 58 now and I, you know, started losing memories. Luckily I had made some tapes of stories on all the different bands cause I had started thinking about writing the book in 1992. Wow. So, you know, luckily I'd done that and I still had all my day runner pages and that stuff. I mean, for me writing the book, the hardest piece of it was the timeline of what happened first, you know? Because, you know, in the 80s and 90s, I was just as high as the band. (laughs) 
I love it. Uh, I've been sober for 16 years now, though. So nice. Nice. Anything that happened in the last 16, I pretty much remember. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask you, since you worked with the band early on, and this was a time where, um, I, I mentioned this on, I think, the last show, Brando, but you know, I got to work with Dee Snyder, and he talked about the 80s hairband scene and how record labels said, you know, if one is good, a million is better. And I think you and I saw that in our, our lifetime with bands like Korn. There were like 10 million new metal bands signed and now it's like a metal core thing of all these bands being signed so at that time yeah, it's a weird thing I, you know in the entertainment business in general it's like you know if there's one movie about bank robbing then there's like four at the same time I, you know I don't know what that philosophy is well they just yeah they want to profit until they absolutely kill it so I, right. I was just wondering if when you saw Guns N' Roses early on and they were just getting their shit together, they were, you know, it was a little bit more punk rock and sloppy, as you kind of describe. Do, do you think, in your mind, did you see them ever becoming the biggest band in the world? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like, I mean, if you want to see what I saw, you can go onto Google and, like, pull up the whole concert of the music machine, which I think was 19... 19- 85 or 6. I mean, it was raw and dynamic and, you know, it just, it was great. I mean, you know, what they're doing now is really great and polished and they're at the top of their games as musicians, but there's something to be said for, like, raw energy just, like, coming unhinged and that's what they were all about back then. What did you think about what happened at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, regarding Stephen Adler, because I'm reading this, I mean, not like Wikipedia is uh, always truthful, uh, but he, he made a comment uh, regarding you saying that he was really heartbroken when you left the band and it had to do with you being a woman. Is that true? Um, I think it had something to do with it, yeah. I mean, you know, Axel had taken me to the Rainbow to have dinner, and he said, you know, I don't know if you'll always be our manager, and this is like amidst the bidding war. I mean, every night we were going out with a different record label for dinner and he's like you know i think we need a male manager and i was like well what if i brought in a male partner and uh you know he said yeah maybe that would work so i set up a meeting with uh doc mcgee and doug thaler and the band that day was like high as hell and like nodding out at the <laughs> conference table <laughs> and you know it's like Doug Thaler was like my mentor and he, he just said to me look Vic you know we think this band is really great but uh, you know we already have Motley Crue we don't want another band <laughs> <laughs> to handle both <laughs> so that was kind of the end of that story but um, well, that's a shame and then even after they signed with Geffen it was like nobody wanted to manage them I mean you know, Alan Niven was the first brave soul that like said he would do it. I think, but uh, why do you? Well, think no, there was a moment where there was a uh, what's it, Arnold Stiefel and uh, Randy Phillips, and they had like gotten them the house and they destroyed it and whatever. And then after that, nobody wanted to deal. <laughs> so. Why do you think that uh, that Axel had said that? Do you think he was being realistic, or at least in his view, that you needed to be a uh, a man in that world, or did he, does he look at, at women in a certain way that we've, you know, heard over the he years? He had like a lot of record company people in his ear, mm. you know, and I was one of the few women in that business at that point in time. I mean, I think it's a little different now. Hopefully, I've 
help, you know, bring down the glass ceiling a little bit, you know, for girls in the business. But I still think that it is sort of that way. I mean, let's face it, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. She still didn't <laughs> win, you know. You read my mind. I was thinking that. I was, you know, <laughs> you know it's, yeah, it's, it's it tough. hasn't changed that much. And, you know, I'm really worried about what's going on politically in our country. You know, it's kind of sad. Yeah, we started off our uh, our podcast with because obviously we want um, our Guns N' Roses podcast to be a bit of an escapism, but we would be remiss not to have mentioned it earlier in the, in the show. And it it is very interesting, and especially for someone like you, because we we like to think we got a bit of a, a, a gut check in 2016 that the world has changed. I mean, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. But when you were uh, you were in, in the in the heart of it, when in the, in the 80s, the decades of, a decade of decadence, where every one of these bands was just about you know, uh, women were, were objects. And for you to be able to be a businesswoman at that time and to get as far as you did, I really, that's, that speaks a lot to uh, your personality and your professionalism. Thank you. I tried to keep it professional and I didn't sleep with the band, but you know, even, <laughs> I today, it's like, <laughs> even today, it's like people will say, okay, which one did you sleep with? I mean, you know, it's just that world. I just don't understand. I mean, okay, clearly I lived with them. So, you know, I'm sure that brings it up for people, but if you're a woman manager, you can't sleep with your clients. It's just not going to pan out. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I'm wondering when they actually did switch to a male manager and the band broke out, um, how how did it all end with you guys? Did did, did you end on good terms? Did, did you still talk once they switched management? Well, <laughs> yes and no. I mean, I... I Tom Zutok got me an A&R job at Geffen Records. I mean, after working Motley Crue and Poison and Striper and then Guns N' Roses, it was like a paycheck sounded like a good thing, you know, because it was job security. And I really wanted to try my hand at A&R, and, you know, I'm really glad I did. I got to work at Geffen Records under David Geffen, and... uh you know, it was one of the best experiences of my lifetime, you know, maybe second to none. Well, I don't know. It's like when I made the record with June Carter Cash and it won the Grammy, that was pretty cool, too. I got to hang out Very cool. you know, with with Johnny Cash and June Carter for a few months, and uh, she became like a mom to me. I just, I just went to John Carter Cash's wedding, and that was pretty amazing, too, but good that there's still those people out there as well but um yeah i mean you know the 80s geffen records you know there was no record label that was better than that so i learned from the best you know but but if you don't mind me you know just asking so did once it end did it end ugly did did you still talk with axel slash and adler and all the guys well they were pretty much on tour you know when i got the anr job and you know, I also managed Faster Pussycat, and Faster Pussycat got signed a year after Guns N' Roses, and their record came out first, you know. It was like Tom really did a great job at, like, making that record, and, you know, that record will stand the test of time for all days, if you ask me. I mean, it's kind of the definitive rock record. Um, You're saying appetite me, it is? was like, uh, you know... And then I had to sue them because I had borrowed 
$25,000 from Howie Huberman, you know, for clothes and equipment and all that stuff when they were showcasing. And I kept telling them they had to pay me back because I didn't want to pay back the twenty five grand to Howie. So, you know, they didn't pay it, they didn't pay it, so I had to, like, sue them. So then Geffen paid half of it and the band paid half. And, uh, um... They weren't very happy with me in that moment in time. Actually, I had them served at Cat House. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you feel you feel Appetite is the definitive rock record? Just to reiterate that. Yeah. I I think Don't we would you? both agree. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Can you name one rock record that's better? I really can't. <laughs> nope. I don't know. Smash Mouth's debut album. No, <laughs> oh. So, what what's your status with the members of the band now? You talked about that you you discussed things with Slash before you put out the book and the idea of the reunion. Do you still talk to any of the guys? I mean, Adler seems to have high praise of you for one. Yeah, I think that. I don't know this for a fact, but I think there's like a gag order where they're not allowed to talk to me right now. I mean, once the tour is over, I think it will be a different thing. But, you know, that's what I think is going on. I have not spoken to them since they started this tour. And they played the Troubadour on my birthday and didn't invite me, which hurt my feelings. But, Mm. um, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know why Axel has it in for me because... You know, had I let him, like, sign the deal with Kim Fowley, he would be still paying Kim St- Kim Fowley's estate for three of the songs on Appetite for Dysfunction, so, or Appetite for Destruction. So, you know, I saved him millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, whatever. That's uh, that's that's fascinating because it's it's just I've never heard of a band that involved in so many different lawsuits and gag orders than, than Guns N' Roses. Like, why do you think that is? Is it Axel that, that that's at the, uh, the the crux of all of this? That the people in his ear? Like, why? Like, yeah, absolutely. Well, no, it's not the people in his ears. It's, it, him. it's him. You know, I think he's just paranoid. Do you think that that? Um, yeah, because I guess we we spoke a lot when we spoke with uh, John Miller. I don't know if you're familiar. He's working on a, uh, a screenplay of Axel's early life and just um, the way he, he I met with him early on when it was just an idea nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no he's he's still plugging away he's a great oh, guy that's good it's like when people win their awards for their records or their screenplays and it's like they're talking about the overnight success of things it's like you know it's ridiculous it's like <laughs> I think that was easily like seven or eight years ago when I met with John you know yeah no he, like, he he's trying he, he's trying it's definitely a tall order and I I think to do it on what we're talking about, the subject matter of Axel, we don't know if it's his childhood or just the way that he is. I mean, I would hope, I'm hoping this is not just my uh, fantasy mindset, that you that you had positive experiences with him, that at once you were all friends in, in addition to business, business partners, or, or no? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have any problem with any of them. I mean, Axel became a little reclusive, you know, and... I haven't talked to him since the 80s, but all the rest of the guys I've had no problem with, you know, then or now or whatever. It's just I don't see them very much because they're on tour pretty much. I mean, Slash said to me that if he could be on tour 365 days a year, he would be there, you know. It's like that's what he loves. So, So you know, and he mm -hmm. he really loves playing with them. 
Kennedy, Miles Kennedy and that band too, and they're really great, you know. Mm-hmm. I love that band. So, you know, who knows what will happen after this tour is over. I hear it's going to go for another year, but... um, Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, I know there'll be more dates after Dubai. Probably they'll go. They'll have to go to Europe at some point. They're probably saving it for uh, festival season, I would think. You know? Yeah, I've heard those uh, those rumors. So, uh, from your perspective, obviously you haven't spoken to to Axel in, in decades. I mean, you have some relationship with Slash, and, and Stephen uh, loves you. So, what do you what do you think? Was the the catalyst behind this reunion? Because it seemed like it would never happen. You know, not in this lifetime, hence the name of the tour. Why do you think this happened? Because for me, I feel like Axel, he lost Bumblefoot, he lost DJ, DJ Ashburn, he's like, I don't have a band anymore. And something, I don't know, something changed in, in him because he seemed to be going forward with the new band. And then all of a sudden, oh, we have a reunion. So what, why do you think this happened? Uh, I think it was a combination of a few things. Uh, the money was amazing, you know. It's big-time money that they're getting, so I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. And Slash went through a divorce, and Axel never liked Slash's wife, so, you know, that's probably a key element in it, too. You know, I'm only speculating, but, you know, Duff had played with both of them, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think he probably had something to do with it coming back together, you know. I, you know, I don't know. Those are the things that I think probably. What, what's your opinion on on the full on the well not full on the reunion going on now? Because it's really not a full reunion. You know, it's not Izzy, and and we see these new members like Melissa Reese that were weren't even alive when you were hanging out with Guns N' Roses. So I, I'm just wondering what you think about it. Is is it a cash grab? Is it that these guys wanted to get back together again and do this for the fans? And, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've been at the shows or if you've seen the videos online. I would love to hear your perspective on how they sound as well. Um, <clears throat> I went to the first show in Las Vegas, and um, it was great. And, you know, for me, it was just awesome because, you know, I never went to the Use Your Illusion tours. So to see them in an arena setting like that was pretty awesome you know because you know you have to remember they were a baby band when I worked with them so it it's a you know when you see all the bells and whistles and the screens and the dancing girls and everything that went along with what this show is it's pretty amazing you know um what do you think of Axel? Do I DC? wish that okay. Stephen and Stephen and Izzy were in the band? Yeah, sure, absolutely. It's like once you take away a piece of the magic, the sound of the band changes. I mean, I even felt that way when um, you know they fired Stephen. It's like Matt Sorm is a great drummer, but the sound was altered a little bit, you know, and what it was. So. You know, I would have liked I would have liked to have seen all of the original band, and sure. you know, I, I, you know, I know Stephen has played a couple of shows with them, but you know, where's Izzy in all of this? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know. Well, that's I'm, what your friend Art is trying I, to find I, out. Yeah, I know. I like met with Art, and I, you know, gave him as much information as I could to help him find Izzy. But you know, Izzy clearly doesn't want to be found, so. <laughs> 
What was your opinion on uh, Axel joining ACDC? Like, that must have been mind-blowing for you. I had to imagine, because ACDC were uh, one of Axel's favorite bands growing up, and all of a sudden he's fronting them and getting great reviews. Well, that's what I was about to say. It doesn't surprise me in that he was a fan of that band, so... You know, for him, I'm sure it was a great honor to be even asked to sing with them. And, you know, I haven't seen any of the shows, but I've watched the videos, and he did a damn good job, you know. It's like, right on, do it, you know. Yeah. It's a lot of work what he's doing, you know, doing ACDC and Guns N' Roses, you know, after being absent for so long. It's pretty amazing that he can keep up with that schedule, you know. Absolutely. I didn't get to see them. Brando did. And, you know, I know John Miller did. And you guys have raved about the shows. Uh, I, he sounds on point. I mean, people were so worried about him losing his voice and all that. And it seems like it's still all there. I mean, for a few years, people got very worried. But uh, he's been doing a killer job. Um, before we let you go, Vicky, what, what are you up to these days? I know that, as you said in the past, you've done some stuff with June Carter Cash and still, um, you know, have worked with a lot of bands post Guns N' Roses and all the decades that have gone by. But uh, what are you doing currently other than promoting this book, uh, Appetite for Dysfunction, A Cautionary Tale? Well, I have been out on a book tour pretty much since February. I... I did all of Europe, and um, for the last month, I've been trying to catch my breath. I, like, fell down right before I left for my Virgin Money store tour in the U.K., and it's like I broke my tailbone. So oh, man. I talk about you got to slow down a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was an involuntary slowdown. But, um, you know, it's been going really good, and the book is getting a lot of great praise, and if you want to buy it, you can get it on Amazon.com or through my website if you want an autographed copy at VickiHamilton.com, which is Vicky with a Y. Um, I am still managing, and I do a blog. And, like, I have this kid named Ray Gorin who's, like, a 16-year-old guitar, I don't know, versioso, or he's just, amazing and you know he's like a new slash in the making only he's a little more pop oriented than slash and uh has a really velvety voice and big things coming for this kid next year and should check him out sometime very cool so are you still living on the sunset strip in in cali um, hell no. <laughs> I, I'm still in Hollywood, but okay. you, know, you can't really live on the Sunset Strip without okay. having people like drop in on you at random. So, <laughs> no, I have moved away from the Strip. But, um, you know, mostly, though, bands want to play in Echo Park or Highland Park these days. The Strip is more of a tourist zone i find yeah know? from what i hear just as a new yorker who doesn't live there that the scene is is dead and it's like oh, it's, it's sad to hear because like i want to go down there i want to i i want to feel like i'm in a guns and roses video if i ever get a chance to take the trip down there which i'm sure i will yeah it's the weirdest thing you know it's like all the entertainment venues are like closing down and they keep building hotels on the strip i'm like okay if there's no entertainment who's gonna stay in these hotels it's <laughs> right it's kind of nuts to me unbelievable um i guess one last question is is there anything that we're going to be surprised by 
in the book that uh, the most hardcore Guns N' Roses fan might not know? Um, that they were regular people. You know? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, they were not always rock stars, and they had periods of struggle, too. I mean, I think every band gets turned down by things, and, uh, you know, it's probably just good to read that your heroes have, like, had some trials and tribulations as well. I Absolutely. That's why I always love reading rock biographies and that type of thing, because it is a reminder that your heroes are, are human, and, and they go through similar struggles that, that all of us do. Um, so, yeah, the book is Appetite for Dysfunction, A Cautionary Tale. Uh, Vicky's website is vickyhamilton.com, and we really appreciate you coming on. I mean, you're a you're in a very important puzzle piece in this whole world of Guns N' Roses and the reason why we do this podcast and get to hear all these voices and get a little bit more perspective each episode on, on who these guys were. Oh, thank you so much. It's very humbling. And you definitely broke that uh, the glass ceiling back in the 80s. So. Oh, thank you. And I keep trying. I'm going to bring some new shit. Is it your way? Watch Please out. Please do. The rock world is hurting right now. We need you. We need you, Vicky. <laughs> Yeah, I think the rock scene is kind of uh, reinventing itself. I mean, I'm not angry like I was in the 80s, so I don't know if I'll ever have another Guns N' Roses. But, you know, there's definitely some good rock music out there right now. All right. Well, we look forward to what you uh, you bring to us, Vicki. Okay, great. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for the time. Bye. Man, that was great. Um... As I said to Vicky, as we were kind of wrapping that up, I really do want to take a trip to the Sunset Strip. Like, I I know that it's like a nostalgia thing now, and it's not what it used to be, but like a lot of those places still are there, and I want to see them before they get knocked down. I, when I watched that last Motley Crue concert, I kind of regretted not going, not just for the concert itself, but like seeing the Whiskey A Go-Go and the Rainbow Room and sure. all these places where in the Welcome to the Jungle video, you see Axel getting off that bus. Like, I got to I gotta do it. And I think I probably will. And and you know me, man. If, if I randomly say I want to go to South Dakota, I'm doing it. So, like, I think sometime 2017, I could see myself doing a, doing a long weekend on the Sunset Strip. If, well, if you want to join me. Keep me in mind, because yeah. I would like to see where Lemmy hung out. Yeah, you know? man. And there's a lot of stories there. Obviously, it's not the same. You know, the same thing uh, with, obviously, it's, it's not there anymore. I think it's in a, an, uh, an airport in Jersey, CBGB's. Yeah. Uh, it's not the same, but, you know, you want to go to kind of just mark another, just, hey, I, I, I was here. It's the, the story, the music is a little bit more tangible, possibly. You know, here's where they were, here's where they were living when they were, you know, when they wrote this music. So, I mean, in just the experience, A, and, and also B, rather, uh, I've never been further west than uh, Minnesota. So, Or it, I've been to Cali, but I just, you I know, haven't. I, like, I, I know whis- there's still bands that play the Whiskey A Go-Go. Oh, and sure. sometimes they are hair bands, like the, you know, Faster Pussycat and those bands will still play those venues. And the Troubadour is still there where Guns N' Roses played. So, like, mm-hmm. I would love to have a weekend where, you know, I, I go to a show. And it doesn't even matter if it's a hairband. Like, I just want I want to go to a show at the Troubadour, go to a show at the Whiskey Go-Go, have lunch at the Rainbow Room. And, you know, a lot of these places, as she said, are going away, but they're not all away. So I, I feel like got to do it before these all get knocked down because I could tell you as a New Yorker, uh, 
there's a lot of great stuff that you missed out on if you if you were to visit now. You know, like I think going to a show at Roseland is a must-do thing if you're in New York, and you can't now because it's gone. Right. You know, like a lot of these great New York landmarks. I even heard. Um, I've never been there, and I'm not really a drinker, but that that bar that's like historic is closing, and I can't think of the name. Is I'm a, not sure. There's a really historic bar. I'll, I'll, I'll Google it as you're uh, responding <laughs> to me. It. Because it's one of those bars that everybody has, um, like, everybody knows well, of. Well, that's and- what I'm doing now with just bands itself. I mean, other than Guns N' Roses, the fact that, you know, I, I had to see George Thurgood. I had to see ZZ Top. I mean, as we're learning, you know, like uh, to wrap it up with this presidential election, this uh, planet is going to end very soon. So McSorley's, by the way. McSorley's, okay. Like that's considered a legendary New York landmark. So like all these places closing, it's just get there before it all closes, I feel like. Um, so I I feel like now would be a good time to do it. I, I'm just, as, as I was talking to her, it reminded me that I want to go there and, and I, you know, maybe even visit Stevie Rochelle and get to meet him or like <laughs> visit... Um, inappropriate Earl, Earl Skakel, who does his podcast on the Sunset Strip and loves all this stuff. Like, it's just uh, when, uh, every other week that we talk about this just makes me want to go there and, and see it we'll all. We'll take and, the show on the road. Yeah, yep, I, I think we got to do it 2017. Maybe there'll be a cool cool concert that comes up. I mean, there was that um, there was that big Sirius XM Hair Nation Fest mm-hmm. that Tough was a part of, Stevie Rochelle, but like Faster Pussycat played. Mm-hmm. The, you know, classic L.A. Guns sort of lineup with Tracy Guns and Phil Lewis played. Like, uh, there'll be something that comes up and we'll be like, we got to do this. There's always something going on. I got family out there anyway that I should probably see at some point in my life. Nice. So that's another reason to. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm completely with you and that's what we're... We're here for uh, to kind of bring back the nostalgia for the people who've lived it for or to discuss the, to the people who haven't like us and in a world that is uh, very much up in the air right now. We know one constant and that is Guns N' Roses is back together. Something is right in the world. Yeah. Who would have thought we would live in a world where Guns N' Roses is back together, the Cubs win the World Series and Donald Trump is president. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. This is a crazy planet. 2016 is an extremely memorable year, no matter how you want to you know, look at it. But just in the entertainment world and all this Everyone stuff. Everyone dying. Like, yeah, it's, it's a... I mean, I just feel when you think back on 2015, there's not nearly as many events that will stick out in my memory as this year. This is <laughs> crazy. Yeah, this is slowly but surely coming to an end. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, our episode 11... Is yeah. coming to an end. Unless you had something else to mention, my dear Ian. No, that's that's about <laughs> it. I mean, I'll say this for the people. There's a lot of people who want to come on this show that have reached out to us, mm-hmm. and I hope they don't think we're forgetting about them, like guys from My GNR Forum. What is GNR Lies? Uh, or? Uh, my GNR Truth. GNR. My GNR Truth. Wow. Yep. So the opposite of lies, the antonym. If you will, um, <laughs> I haven't heard that word in a long time. Good for you, SATs. Yeah. Uh, so though we haven't forgotten about all you guys, but it's just like, hey, if Vicky Hamilton wants to come on the show, kind of takes priority. Some things uh, are, are timely, you know, because she has a book that's that's out. And this, but no, we're, we're gonna talk to a lot of people. If you want to do a quick guest spot, maybe we'll do a, sh- uh, a show that has a couple of guests. Like I think we did that the first time around. Yeah. Or we might, you know, I think it's always cool when we do a show of just you and I, which we haven't done in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll be cool. Uh, yeah, there's just, there's too, way too many people to talk to between just super fans that are in bands, guys like Charlie Benanti, and then the people who are behind the scenes. Like, um, I was talking to James Moresco, who runs the Rock Nation radio Twitter, and he was like, you got to talk to Mike Quink, 
right? Who produced the first, um, who produced Appetite for Destruction, some sure. of the early stuff. Um, I'll, I'll double check that if you want. But yeah, like there, there are just so many behind the scenes guys that we have to talk to, you know, guys who are part of uh, the Juju Hounds, like that. Um, that Art Tavana talked to. There's just there's, there's too many people involved in this world, and for us to just do this every two weeks, it's it's just it's nuts. And it just goes back to that whole thing of people saying, "Are you really going to be able to do a podcast where you just talk about Guns and Roses?" And the answer is, "Fuck yeah." Yes, but and we sprinkle it with some other bullshit. But yeah. I think that bullshit's still entertaining, regardless. But so uh, we really appreciate Appetite for Distortion and number eleven. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review on iTunes. We're on the iHeartRadio app. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, both at the AFD Show. And if uh, that is it, my dear Ian, because I like saying that, um, we don't know when the next one's going to come. Hopefully in a couple weeks we do have the uh, Thanksgiving coming up, so we don't know. Um, but I will say, we do know this. In the words of Axel Rose, the Kurt Loader about Chinese democracy, I don't know when you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Brando and Scotto, dissecting all things Guns N' Roses on Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. security, I'm going home.